Hello, everybody. My name is Pastor Chris. Welcome to Sermons from Centerpoint. I'm so glad you've chosen to join us today. This week's sermon is based off the passages from the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, verses 26 through 38, and chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. This week's passages deal with Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, and how the Holy Spirit came and conceived in her the person of Jesus Christ. We're talking about her initial response to the Holy Spirit coming and the angel Gabriel telling her this, as well as her magnificent, her hymn to God afterwards. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, so I'm going to hand it off to Miss Joni, as well as myself, to introduce the text for today. God bless, and I hope you have a great week. Blessings. All right. Uh, we will move on in our uh, time of service uh, to the reading of Scripture. So I invite Miss Joni to read our uh, first Scripture, which is uh, from the book of Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 1. 26 through 38. Awesome. Thank you very much, Miss Joni. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be unable to conceive, is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Thanks be for the reading of God's word. If you would stand as you're able for our second gospel reading, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 56. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. And, is holy, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. 
He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. We were talking a little bit about this in Sunday school, and the story of Mary is the story of an ordinary teenage girl in a small town in Galilee. During that time, she didn't have the significance that kings or emperors did. She wasn't as learned as some of the clergy or some of the other very smart people. She certainly wasn't super duper rich. She didn't have a huge uh, business. She wasn't high in the Roman military. She was Mary. She was a woman from a small town, the small town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee. Unremarkable for all intents and purposes. The amazing thing about Mary, though, that the world would not be able to understand and that this world, even nowadays, wouldn't be able to understand is her faith, was her love for God. One of the things that we talked about earlier in Sunday school that I think bears repeating was about David and how David was this person who was after God's own heart. In fact, when God called David and he told Nathan about him, he said, don't look at his stature and how big he is, for I don't look at the way that the world, I don't look at people the way the world looks at people. I look into their heart. And Mary and her heart is certainly at least one thing she inherited from her ancestor, David. It's this thing that separates believers. It's this thing that has brought in hope and love. It's this thing that really sets people apart. And we've talked about it before, but this is something we all know. Those believers in our own lives who are different, for all the good reasons. For their love, their mercy, their grace, but it's simply evident that their faith in God is so real. And that's the thing about Mary, is that her faith is so real. She doesn't respond by glorifying herself. She responds by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary ultimately has a life that isn't inward pointing, that isn't pointing towards herself. She doesn't have one that's even outward pointing towards her family, although that's objectively a good thing. 
The trajectory of our heart is set on God and on His goodness and on who He is. This is what sets Mary apart. And when we compare Mary to some of the Pharisees that are to come or the Sadducees who are trying to trap Jesus in rhetorical or intellectual traps, it doesn't compare. Because all of the wisdom and the intelligence in the world and all of the smarts and all of the resource and all of that doesn't compare to that of a faithful heart. Because God chooses Mary, his humble servant, his faithful servant, his unremarkable servant. This world is constantly vying for our attention. And it's not just constantly vying for our attention, but it's constantly vying to tell us who we should be. We see it in magazines at the checkout aisle. You should all be 15, 20, 30 pounds lighter. Right? Or you should be like this celebrity over here who does this thing. Or, oh my gosh, what about this self-help book that tells us we need to be like this? Or these uh, get-rich-quit screams, and we need to make this much money to be successful. Or, or, or... You need to go through this exact route in life so that you can raise up to be uh, an expert in your field and that is how you will be successful. And all of these things aren't just ways for people to tell us how to live our lives. They are selling something at its core that is an identity. That your value comes from your intelligence, that it comes from your expertise, or that it comes from any other of million things in this world. It comes because uh, uh, this person is really great at sports. It comes because of I'm a mom. It comes because I'm a dad. It comes because I'm in the military. It comes because I'm a politician, or I'm a doctor, or so on and so forth. And while those are ultimately ways of describing who we are as a people, as, as different people, they're not identities. And ultimately, all of them will be found lacking. I've told this story before, I think, but I get confused about who I told it to. <laughs> but there's a story about Deion Sanders. I think I showed a video about it once. The story about Deion Sanders, and it was after he won one of uh, his Super Bowls. I think it was the first one. And uh, he had spent his whole life trying to be this amazing athlete. That was the trajectory of his life. And he got the Super Bowl. He won it with the Cowboys. And everybody was ready to go home and party and pop those corks of uh, champagne and that whole thing, and that was fun. And uh, Deion Sanders is telling the story, and he gets to his hotel bed that evening, or he gets to his bed, and he's ready to commit suicide. He'd reached the top, and it felt empty. 
Now, I'm not saying being an expert or being the best in our field is a bad thing, but it fails in who God is calling us to be. You see, during this time, there were plenty of experts and Pharisees and kings and queens and people who know infinitely more than Mary. But the truth of the matter is that at its core, the thing that God cares about more than anything is our hearts. Because God really doesn't care if you're a super big expert guy or if you're the president of the United States or you're this amazing military person or if you're this amazing person in sports or if you rise to the office of bishop or if you have a 10,000 member church, none of that matters. They're good things. But it's ultimately insufficient for who God is calling us to be as a people, which is faithful. Which is a people who love Him. And that's what sets Mary apart. It might seem simple fact that she loves God and she lives it out. But it's true. And I'm, I'd reckon that if all of us were to close our eyes and try and think of those same people in our life, they're probably rarer than we think. See, Mary's identity wasn't the fact that she was a woman. wasn't the fact that uh, uh, she was married to be Joseph or that one day she would be a mother or that she was a Nazarite. It was that she was a child of God. She was one of God's people. That's what defined her. That was Mary's identity. And she traces it back. Skip ahead. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me and his holy name. Mary doesn't call herself blessed because she's amazing or humble or any of these things. She calls herself blessed because of what God has done for her. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors. To Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary remained there about three more uh, months. What separates Mary is who she knows who she is. 
do you? Did you have all that figured out at 14 or 15 or however old she was? Did any of us cement our identity in God and let Him define us? Yeah, Mary wasn't a king. Mary wasn't an expert. Mary wasn't rich. Mary wasn't any of these things. But she knew who she was. She had a deep understanding of the faithfulness and goodness of God. And she never stopped believing that He was coming and that He would fulfill His promises to save His people. Do we believe that? Do we really? Do we have such a deep, fundamental understanding and, uh, of our faith that we really believe these things that we, that we say in the liturgy or that we utter from Scripture or that maybe we pray? Do we believe them? I used to have a professor who was at Covenant College in Lookout Mountain, Georgia, and he was a six-foot-four Dutchman from Europe. And he spoke with a strong accent, and everywhere he went, he carried this little, like, I shouldn't say little, this giant tape recording machine so he could record all of his lectures. And we're in a room that is maybe about like a quarter the size of the sanctuary. We could all clearly hear him, but he'd always like place that down, plug it in and talk into this microphone. And it always just struck me as so odd. But the dude was smart. And one of the things that he said that really stuck with me into this day was the farthest distance in the world is from the head to the heart. Mary got that quick. It was in her heart. It wasn't just an uttered belief, empty and devoid of meaning, but she said it and she meant it because she lived it and she breathed it. Do you believe Do you believe that God is coming again to save his people? Do you believe that he's good? Do you believe that his intentions for us are good? Because God looks into our hearts. And he sees them for what they are. Now, I'm not trying to scare you away and pretend that there's this judgmental God who's just waiting to play gotcha. But my point is to point out what God sees in us. And how special it is that a 14-year-old girl from a backwater town 
in Galilee got that at age 14. Think about some of the 14-year-olds you know for just one second. So how do you identify? (laughs) What is it that you cling to? What is it that's objectively good and yet you still define yourself by? Because it's ultimately lacking in the identity that God gives us as His children as his people. And how he's coming again, just like he did over 2,000 years ago. Let us pray. Father God, we need you. We're a mess. I know I'm a mess. I know the thoughts of my heart and my mind. And I need you. I need you when I want to make my faith any more about me at the expense of you. I need you when I begin to say, oh, well, I think I am a dad first. It's a good thing, but it's not my ultimate identity as your child, as your people. Help me, Father God, have that faith and that understanding like Mary. That deep reservoir of wisdom, that deep reservoir of acceptance and submission to that fact and to my God and to my Creator. So that I too, Father God, might wake up saying, My soul magnifies the Lord. Be with us, Father. We need you. In every single little thing, we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.